0: Hey, did you know that Jesus' main message makes a lot more sense when you know the context in which that lesson was taught? We know that context matters. So when we deconstruct and reconstruct our faith, You better believe it. We will make a big deal about context and that is what we're talking about today. So let's begin with this timeline diagram. So we begin at the beginning called Genesis, which I love. About a dozen chapters in, we meet a character named Abraham. Now, so far we learned that humanity failed and failed and kept on failing. So God chooses to fix this world through that family, Abraham's family. Now this decision by God has its good and bad parts. The good part is, Not all humanity needs to get it right for the world to be repaired. God could just work through one family and can exponentially grow from there. There's a higher rate of success. But the bad part of this plan is that it creates division in this world. See, because there's Abraham's family, which eventually is called the Jews, and then there's everyone else, which are called the Gentiles. But this problem really isn't a problem because the Jews are supposed to be inclusive of the Gentiles. That was their mission. God gave them a mission, which is to bless the world, through this family. So technically, there's no bad parts in this plan. There's no us versus them, in theory. You see, this plan begins to falter when we realize that this mission that God gave them eventually became a religion. So let me expand on that idea. You see, throughout history, the Jews have been attacked by many external kingdoms, which are the Gentiles, the very people they were supposed to bless. The first Gentiles to persecute the Jews were the Egyptians. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. Then after that, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Syrians, and then the Romans. In the first of the series of attacks, the Egyptians enslaved the Jews. Now, how did they get out of slavery? Well, after several hundred years of bondage, the Jews cried out to God, and through Moses, God delivered them out of Egypt. And they were eventually delivered to their homeland about 40 years later, only to find out that the Gentile kingdoms, well, there's many of them, and they all want to bully the Jews around. And this happened over and over and over until their way of thinking began to shift they started thinking hey if these bullies around us have kings then we want one too and we also want kingdoms oh and also they realized early on that they're not really good fighters they're not really good at fighting back they don't have mighty army men like the other kingdoms do so they started thinking look we can't win wars but we're the chosen people of god so at the very minimum what we have to do is preserve our ways and our people. So they decided to do everything they can to preserve themselves using these things called identity markers. So what are identity markers? These are things that people or cultures tend to place in their own systems to make sure that they didn't lose their way. The Jews had five identity markers and lucky for us they all start with the letter T and it solidified them as a religion. The first one is Torah, that's basically their Bible. Basically they said, we'll follow all the rules in the Bible so God will bless us And we'll stick as close to these rules as possible. The second one is traditions. We're going to do things our way, not the ways of the Babylonians, not the ways of the Romans. We're going to do things our way so that God will bless us. It's their way of planting their feet in the ground saying, we're never going to change. Third, we have tribe. We'll keep ourselves pure by not mingling with others. So they distance themselves from the people they're supposed to reach out to. Fourth, territory. We need our tribe to rule over our land. We need to take political power over our land so God will bless us. And finally, temple. We'll keep doing our rituals and sacrifices so that God will bless us. So we have Torah, traditions, tribe, territory, and temple. Okay, now before we move on, I wanna point out that each of these five things are important and they're not bad in themselves. However, when we start to worship these things, when we make these things the ultimate thing, then the opposite of God's mission will begin to form. You see, these are the things that the Jews placed in their midst so that they could get God to help them control the fear that was settling in. And we call that religion. And as we talked about this last week, the more religious a group gets, the more separation it creates between them and the world. So, the gap between the Jews and Gentiles grew wider and wider. Drifting away from the group you're supposed to bless, is a problem but you have to also kind of sympathize with them because it's understandable I mean if you were in a constant state of fear wouldn't you go into preservation mode and if you're in constant preservation mode before you know it you're gonna be isolated and you're gonna find yourself in an echo chamber and well the Jews they began creating subgroups based around these five things so here are a few examples there's a subgroup called the Pharisees they believe that if they followed every single rule in the Torah God will bless them They even added some of their own traditions as being part of the law book, and unfortunately, they became extremely legalistic. They started calling out every single person around them that broke the smallest of rules, and that created a brokenness in their own group. And so the Pharisees, their idols, Torah and traditions. The next subgroup are the Essenes. If you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, these are the people who are responsible for that. They believe that they ought to take their tribe and withdraw from society. God can't bless us as long as we're being polluted by the world right so we need to pull away from that polluting world and over time they thought as long as we're pure we could care less about what happened to the world so they became apathetic to society widening the gap between jews and gentiles their idol is tribe another subgroup is called the zealots they believe that god wanted them to chase the romans off their land so they used violence oh and when the romans desecrated something that was holy sometimes ruining a sacred tradition they had They rebelled, and this forced the Romans to station even more soldiers in their land, and the hatred between the Jews and Gentiles just grew exponentially. Their idol, land, and traditions. The Herodians, they believe that if you took over the government, then God will bless them. If we get the right leaders and implement the right laws, God will show us favor. I mean, that's what they believed. Okay, but the problem here is that they were actually successful. They gained influence, power, and money. And when you have power, influence, and money, you don't want to give that up. And so they even resorted to taking money from the poor. And so they contributed to the economical problem of Israel. Their idol is land because they overemphasized political power. And then we have the Sadducees. They idolized the temple. They taxed attendees and sold merchandise that was required to perform rituals on the temple grounds. You see, they did this because they needed to keep the religious institution afloat. And as a result, the poor, the women, the sick, Gentiles, the people who were curious about God, they couldn't afford to connect with God. And also there's archaeological evidence that the Sadducees were accepting money, under the table from the Roman Empire to make ends meet. So they compromised their original mission on being inclusive to all people. Their idol is the temple and traditions. Now, as you might have guessed by now, the divide between the Jews and Gentiles were at its greatest. And for the most part, it's because the Jews ended up idolizing one of these five things and it's become a religion. And it's in this context that Jesus shows up. In the very first sermon that Jesus preaches, this is what he said. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Here, Jesus uses some language that we're familiar with the Jews. The word kingdom was a trigger word back then because they knew that whenever a kingdom moved into Israel, that they were going to be bullied around. The word kingdom had a really bad connotation attached to it. Kingdoms only conquer other kingdoms, which creates more war and leads to the exact opposite of what God wanted them to do. So Jesus' first sermon is really weird because Jesus is proclaiming that he's going to add another kingdom to the long list of kingdoms that bully them around. But, if you read on, Jesus is talking about a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom we've seen before. God's kingdom is a new movement of people from every nation and background who love each other as family and who support each other to live in sync with God's will and God's way. And this is how God wants to change the world. So let's go back to that diagram. Now while the religion the Jews were erecting created separation amongst themselves and between them and the Gentiles, Jesus envisioned a kingdom where everyone came together. But this seems impossible, right? I mean, Jesus, how are we supposed to get along with each other when enemies can't love one another? How can this kingdom actually happen when people aren't forgiving one another? Jesus, is it even possible to close this gap between the Jews and Gentiles when people are hoarding their stuff and refuse to be generous to each other? Jesus, can this kingdom even last a day if everyone's keeping track of each other's sins and ranking themselves to see who is the holiest? In the days that Jesus walked this earth, the Roman Empire was trying to pull this off by destroying people who disagreed with them. All the other kingdoms like the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and Romans, they had chariots, swords, soldiers, and money. I mean, these are some of the thoughts that Jesus' disciples were actually entertaining in their heads. So Jesus, what makes your kingdom so different? What arsenal do you have that the other kingdoms don't have? And then Jesus would probably smile back and say, me, this movement, this kingdom has Jesus. I mean, let's take a look again at Jesus's first sermon. The kingdom has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. For most of you, the word repent stands out, right? I mean, it's a very churchy word. You probably heard a preacher say, repent! (laughs) So what does it mean to repent? Well, first, this word in Hebrew means return. Yes, Jesus' sermons are recorded in Greek, but Jesus preached in Hebrew. The word that he used here is the word teshuva, and it means to return. And many rabbis have debated as to what it means to return. Some said it means to return to who God created you to be, and... There's a lot of wisdom in that version of the word teshuva. But another understanding of the word teshuva is to return to God. So let me expand on that a little bit. The problem with these five subgroups is that they picked out an aspect of their faith and went too far with it. Now, what if there was a central figure that embodied all five of these things? So when they move too far away, they can look back at that figure and return to a good balance. So if you love reading the Bible, you can read to your heart's content. But let's just say one day, you become extremely legalistic. And everyone around you sees that you've gone extreme, but you are convinced that you're right and everybody else is a heathen. But when you look back at that central figure, you realize how far you drifted away and you start making your way back to the center. And Jesus is that central figure. You realize that your life and your demeanor is not like Jesus's. You start asking questions like, was Jesus legalistic? Was he obsessed with following every single rule? Did he call people out for making the slightest mistakes in following these rules? Or was he more obsessed with loving the people who failed to meet these unrealistic standards of the Torah? Or maybe you're like the Essenes. You realize how corrupt the world is, so you withdraw yourself from it to protect yourself. Or maybe perhaps you're doing that with your kids. You won't let them have friends who aren't like you. Everyone around you sees that you become apathetic to the world, but you're convinced that you're not the problem, that everybody else has compromised their faith. But when you take a moment to look at Jesus and how he hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sick, the sinners, you realize you need to move back towards the center. Or maybe you think you're the one that's going to reform this unjust world and the way you're going to do it is by fighting this unjust system that we find ourselves living in. And you are now convinced that the only way the world will take notice of your message is by doing something extreme, like violence, like destroying somebody else's property. But if you take a moment to look at Jesus and how he said that we need to love our enemies, you'll realize how off the mark you are and start moving back to the center. Jesus is the key to our faith. But... There is one truth that I want you to remember. No one is going to get Christianity 100% right. Let me say that again. No one is going to get Christianity 100% right. We're all going to be a few degrees off and this should create a sense of humility in all of us. You see, as long as we keep returning back to the person of Jesus, aka repenting, we can't be too far off. So in your relationship with Jesus, you might start to veer in this direction. Then you see Jesus and you return. But now you're moving away from Jesus and getting a bit extreme in that direction. Then you look to Jesus and you repent. Central to Christianity is Jesus, not his mission, not the Bible, not social justice, it's Jesus. You set your sights on Jesus and then everything else will start falling into place. But without repentance, our faith can turn into a religion, which only widens the gap between us and the world. And as His people, we're all required to repent as often as we can, to set our sights on Him and move towards Him at all times, and and readjusting ourselves in accordance to Him at all times. Repentance is the act of returning back to Jesus, and this mentality is the building block of our faith. So church, may you fix your eyes on Jesus and adjust to Him and His ways continually. And may God send his spirit upon all of us. So as we live our lives, we're starting to shrink the gap rather than widening it. And may we all experience heaven together. Amen and God bless.